Our scripture reading this morning, selected by Brother Scott, comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him, however in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. Good to be back together this morning. I've been on vacation, so I have enjoyed that. It's been a blessing. Uh, last week was Pentecost. It was 50 days from the Passover when the church was established, usually what we think about, right? And so when June comes around, on my calendar, I have it marked down, talk about the church, you know? So that's what we're going to do. This, this month, we're going to do a series out of 1 Corinthians 14 about the assembly, about what this, the purpose of the assembly is. We're going to look at what it means to do things decently and in order. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 14 because it teaches about some things, what belongs in the assembly and what doesn't belong in the assembly on Sunday morning. And I think this is worth our study and our time, specifically because it's in the Bible. And there's 40 verses in this chapter. I encourage you to study it. Look at it on your own. So this morning, we look at the subject of the purpose of the assembly. Usually when you ask that question, what the purpose of the assembly is, the number one answer that comes back to me is worship. We're going to talk about that a little bit further. Uh, we might have a little bit too much of a narrowing of worship right there, and our worship should extend beyond this building. And we'll communicate and see more about that. But look at this. Here's a picture of the assembly, and this is what I want you to get. When you have time to study this, open up to 1 Corinthians 14, look in 1 Corinthians 11. In fact, if you go from 1 Corinthians 11, you could even start in the middle of chapter 10, and read from chapter 10 all the way to the beginning of chapter 16, you get a picture of the assembly. You read about the five actions that are a part of the assembly that are really clear there. And that's what I love about 1 Corinthians. You get a, big, a great picture there what it means for us to assemble. I want you to notice this morning that I'm using the word assembly, and there's a reason for that. There are multiple words, two words that come to my mind, in the Greek language that talk about the assembly, gathering together. 
And that is the word we find through the Bible that talks about this time when we gather together to break bread. This is what we see in the book of Acts. In Acts 20, we see here the disciples met on the first day of the week. They met in the upper room. They met there in, a third, in the third floor of that building. In the culture back then, you would have the bottom floor of your workroom, sometimes your store, whatever it might be. If you lived in the country, that's where you kept your animals. On the second floor is where you lived. That's where your family lived. And then oftentimes in the Bible, we have this reference to a guest room or sometimes called the upper room of the third floor. If you lived in Jerusalem and you were having feasts all the time, you wanted to make sure you had a third room because it was extra income that would be coming into your family. And disciples, when we read about them in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, that's where they are. They're meeting there. But this one is in Troas. This is in a Greek city in Asia Minor or in Turkey today. And here Paul has gathered together and he's preaching to them and he preaches from sunset till midnight. And in the course of that night, someone fell asleep while he was preaching. Of course, if you preach for about six hours, you might have that happen. But if you think about that, and this is no warning against anybody who falls asleep today, but Eutychus, the young man that is pictured there, a teenager, he fell asleep and he fell out of the window and he died. And Paul, by God's working, he raised him back to life again. And Paul, he conversed with him. He stayed with those Christians because he had to move on from there. And what we see here in the text is that he waited seven days. They got there to Troas, waited the whole week, specifically for the first day of the week. That's why we meet on the first day of the week, Acts 20 and verse 7. It's the day when Christ rose from the dead. I think that would be an interesting story if you were Eutychus, that young man who, who could say, well, I died on the first day of the week and and uh, someone raised me to, to life again. You wouldn't, certainly wouldn't forget that and maybe even have more significance for you. But Paul conversed with these Christians even until daybreak, and he left out from them. He wanted to be with them. He loved them, and he wanted them to be edified. And it says that they met on the first day of the week for an, a very specific purpose. One of the purposes for the assembly was to break bread. Now, I believe this is talking about not just eating together, but to the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16 calls the Lord's Supper the breaking of the bread. In Greek, there's an article there in both places. In Acts chapter 2, it says that when the church was started, they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the apostles' doctrine, to prayers, and to the breaking of the bread, the Lord's Supper. So we certainly see that as we participated this morning, as we do every Sunday morning in the Lord's Supper it's a purpose and a part of the assembly. So what is the purpose of the assembly? You're not going to find a verse in the Bible that says the purpose of the assembly is to worship God. We know there's a specific worship that takes place in the assembly. In fact, Psalm 22 has a prophecy of Jesus saying that he wants to praise God in the congregation, in the church. And we find that quotation in Hebrews 2 and verse 12. So there is praise that, that happens. But this is what stands out to me in 1 Corinthians 14. Sometimes we just narrow things down. We make them too simple. The purpose of the assembly is to worship God. That's part of it. It is to partake of the Lord's Supper. Yes, certainly. But it is for edification. Throughout 1 Corinthians 14, it's emphasized, as you heard read this morning, to excel in edification. What does that mean? An edifice is a building. To edify means to build up. We come here this morning to build one another up in a very specific way. We build each other up in edification in God's 
word. In the scriptures, in the truth that is presented there. That edification includes encouragement and consolation, includes receiving knowledge from God through his word. So what is the purpose of the assembly? We see that there. Traditional perspectives can distort the believer's understanding of worship and the assembly. You remember in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus warned those who were worshiping according to tradition and that they were putting man's traditions over God's commands. Today in many churches, that's exactly what you see. You have traditions of men over God's commands. You see a lot of churches that are entertainment focused. They'll have a big black screen and big lights and everything up at the front. They'll have a whole variety of different instruments. And you wonder what the focus is because God didn't ask for that. That's not what is specified in the scriptures. He says, what I want you to do, I want you to gather together. That's what the scriptures teach. I want you to edify one another. I want you to stir one another to love and good works. Hebrews 10 and verse 24. Not about entertainment or any kind of amusement. In fact, you hear, and I I read about this all the time, different churches dividing and fighting over what style of worship. One group wants to do rock music. Another one wants to do a variety of of different types of songs. Some of them want what is called traditional singing. They argue whether they're going to bring in drums or a guitar or replace the piano or what they're going to do with the old organ nobody wants to hear anymore. They fuss over things like that. But in the church of Christ, if we keep it simple the way it is in the Bible and the way it is in the New Testament, we don't have to argue over it. We see in the Bible it says to speak to one another. In Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that we sing to one another. And that singing edifies us. We do it in Thanksgiving. We don't have to argue over it. We simply go, here's the scriptures. Here's, the, here's our psalm book. Let's just sing biblical songs to one another. Edify one another. Stir one another. So the traditional perspective in some churches, traditions of man can distort things. The title worship service, where does it come from? It's not in the Bible. And I try to stay away from it because when I hear worship service, to me, it's like I hear the word mass. I I could sit here today and say, well, there's a mass of us grouped together. Why don't we call this mass? And you would say, no, we wouldn't call it mass. It sounds like Catholicism. And there's other connotations with it. And the same thing with worship service. We want, to, we want to be very careful about that. We want to be careful. I want to call it what the Bible calls it. And what I think of, when I hear the word worship service, sometimes it pigeonholes everything. And some people forget, well, edification doesn't matter. These other things don't matter. It's all about worship. And that should be your own focus. Let me show you an extreme of this. A few, it might be a year or two ago, I had a, a woman came here who was visiting with us for a while. She said, When I come in here to worship, it's not about anybody else around me. It's only about me and my worship to God, and I try to ignore everything else. Is that what the Bible teaches? No. It talks about edification. It talks about stirring one another to love and good works. That's why we're here. The New Testament refers to Christians gathering for the Lord's Supper, and it's described as the assembly. One of the words for assembly is synagogue. It's where we get the word synagogue, synagogue. You might hear that in Greek. The other word is ecclesia, and some preachers pronounce it as ecclesia, but ecclesia is the church. Ecclesia means assembly. It means gathering. It means a congregation. When you're a part of the church, it means just the word itself implies that you are gathering together. If you're a Christian, you're a part of the church, you should be gathering together. The Bible warns us, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. In fact, in Greek, 
The word assembly there is a noun. It's not a participle or a verb. It's just assembly. It's even have a prefix on it that emphasizes that this is not just a assembly or a meeting. It is the assembly. In fact, it even has a Greek article on it, meaning the assembly. Sorry, I don't don't know if I'm, I'm getting a lot of Greek this morning. But anyways, I just want to emphasize that it's the assembly and how important it is. For this reason, many have concluded that the assembly is solely to worship God. I want to be careful about that. The focus should be on God, but it also is about edification. While the assembling of Christians is a form of worship, the assembly is not all of worship. Some mistakenly assert that all of life is worship. And they'll say, well, all of life is worship, and I can worship God anywhere, and so I'm going to go out to the golf course on Sunday morning. I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to count that as worship. The Bible doesn't teach that either. So you can go to another extreme. I encourage you this morning, stay away from that. Stay away from it. Hebrews 13, 15 through 16 tells us a lot about worship. In fact, I would back you up if we had time into Hebrews 12 and verse 28, where it talks about worshiping God with reverence and awe. But listen to what is written here. I believe Paul is writing the Hebrew letter here. And so he says, through him, through Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Our praise to God is our offering and sacrifice to him. That is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. And I'll say this as well to add on to the point about before about the worship and what goes on in the assembly. I will no more add to the fruit of the vine and the Lord's Supper than I will add to the fruit of the lips and praise to God. I will no more add to the fruit of the vine and the Lord's Supper than I will add to the fruit of the vine and praise to God. I'm not going to add lamb's meat. I'm not going to adapt the Lord's Supper and change it. Christ did it right the first time. Let's follow that example. And when it comes to singing and praising God, I'm going to keep the fruit of the lips. Praise Him in words that are understandable. He also says this, verse 16, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. To do good and to share. Is that worship? Guy in Woods, in his questions and answers book, he's asked, Do we worship outside of the assembly? He said, If you take a basket of food to someone in need, to a needy family, and you give it to them, and you do it in direction and reverence to God and worship to Him, he says that is worship. And I agree with him on that. I think that is very true. We want to do this. When we gather together, we desire the higher gifts. Corinth had a lot of issues. Their assembly, some were turning it into a talent show. They're saying, I'm better than you are. I can speak in different languages. I'm going to stand in front of everybody. You have that kind of, kind of conflict going on here. Listen to what is said here in 1 Corinthians 12, talking about spiritual gifts. It says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. He gave them a whole list of these gifts. What's the more excellent way? He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, and I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. And I can see many people saying that today. Well, I've given away everything. I'm willing to lay down my life for others, but if you don't do it out of love, it doesn't matter. And he goes on to explain in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 13, He says, these things, faith, hope, and love are to dwell among you, but the greatest of these is love. When we look at the higher gifts, the better things, 
He now goes into the assembly. He says, how should the assembly be conducted? Well, it starts with a church that loves one another. Again, Hebrews 10, 24 says to stir one another to love and good works. What observations should Christians take from 1 Corinthians 14? Okay, this is our reading for this morning. If you have your Bible out, take a look at this. And let's look at 1 Corinthians 14. Have your own observations as well. This is what I observe from this section of Scripture. Love is greater than all the spiritual gifts. True? Prophecy is the greater of the spiritual gifts. And we're going to talk about prophecy. Prophecy, by definition, means preaching or speaking forth. Many times, especially in the first century, it would have included revelation directly from God. This is prophecy, speaking forth. It's the greatest of those gifts. Prophecy is for edification, encouragement, and consolation. That's what we come here for. That's the edification we want, encouragement to console one another. And then it says that tongues, that are different languages, it says, tongues are for self and prophecy is for the church. And you should desire in the church when you gather together, not a talent show, but to receive edification from God's word. And then we see this prophecy is greater than tongues. Some people today have put an emphasis on it and say, oh, I can speak in tongues, and they think this or that. The Bible says that is the least of the gifts. In fact, 1 Corinthians 14, if you keep reading, says the purpose of speaking in different languages as God gave this ability was to take the gospel to the world. In Acts chapter 2, when the church started, the disciples were speaking in different languages, edifying those who had come there who spoke in those different languages, trying to teach them the gospel. In fact, as I conclude from this text, that those tongues really didn't have a place in the assembly. So let's read here again, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 12. Paul says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Notice what's happening here. They're speaking in languages nobody understands. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So this morning I've given you some Greek words, and if I just quoted Greek to you and didn't tell you what it meant, I'd be doing wrong. But when we make reference to it, we need to interpret it. Look at verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit unless I bring to you some revelation, knowledge, prophecy, or teaching? There's the edification. Next week, I'm going to expand more on this. Even if lifeless instruments, the word lifeless there means instruments, and he's talking about musical instruments, they're soulless. Even them, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes. How will anybody know what is played? If the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech, that is not intelligible. Notice this. He talks and he says, if you come to church and the preacher's getting up and speaking and you can't understand what he's saying, there's something wrong. When we're praying, people should be able to hear us. We need to be able to project, speak clearly, speak in words that edify, that are intelligible, and certainly not be speaking in other languages. How will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world. Notice what the tongues are here. This is not some kind of angelic voice that someone speaks in and everybody hears it in their own language. 
He says there are various tongues, same Greek word throughout. There are doubtless many different tongues in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager to be for the manifestations of the Spirit, listen to this. If you're going to participate, if you're going to speak in the assembly, strive to excel in building up the church. Teach the church. Edify the church. That's the goal and the purpose. The problem with the tongues was, again, they were saying things nobody can understand. Verse 2. He says, rather preach this for upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. The assembly is for building up. Should tongues have meaning? Yes. When you speak in different languages, it had a purpose to speak to others. We certainly don't want to be foreigners to one another. And what is the goal for Christians speaking in the assembly? Again, strive to excel in building up the church. Men, when you get up here to speak, make sure you have your scriptures ahead of time. Read through them. Be prepared to speak clearly. When you're going to lead a prayer, know what you're going to say. Listen and don't give out meaningless words. Mean what you say and be very, very clear. This is what we see about the assembly before we finish up this morning. The Hebrew writer says this in chapter 10, 23 to 25. He says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. I don't think that's the best translation there, to meet together. The Greek word again is the assembly. Do not neglect, do not forsake the assembly, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And verse 26 tells us, encourages us again. It says, if you continue willfully sinning, there remains no sacrifice for you. We should expect edification when we gather together. So some people say, and I've heard this before, when you gather together, it's only for worship, and it's not about what you get out of it, it's what you put into it. As far as worship is, that's true, as far as worship. But there is something that we get out of it. We need to be getting God's Word out of it. We need to be getting truth out of it, getting the the Word that edifies us. Should Christians expect edification in the assembly? Yes, Should we expect to stir one another up to love and good works? Yes, that's what the assembly is for. That's what the church is for. God knows we need one another. We need to edify one another. We do so in His truth. So why did God, I want want you to think about this, why did God command a rest for the Sabbath? Remember what Jesus said in Mark 2 and verse 27? He says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. In other words, God didn't make us so that we would get together because he got some kind of fuel or feeding from us worshiping him. It's what is best for us to worship him and to receive edification from him. In other words, God, in regards to the Sabbath, he made it for his people. And the same thing with the assembly. God didn't just make the assembly as a ritual so that on Sunday morning you had something to do besides go and eat with your family, you know, or whatever else you might come up with you might be wanting to do on Sunday morning. It's not a ritual. It's, it's something that we get edification from. It's a gathering together. He says the Sabbath was made for man. And the same application is true for the assembly. God set up the church, the assembly, this time right now to edify us, for us to encourage one another, to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. 
So I ask you that question. Did God make the assembly for man or man for the assembly? God made the assembly for man. The organization of the assembly is very clear in the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians 14, we read about preaching. And next week, we'll be looking at singing and prayer, 1 Corinthians 14. And then, as as we often read on Sunday morning, 1 Corinthians 16 talks about the collection. Those are the five acts of the assembly we read about in the Scriptures. There's so much in 1 Corinthians 14 that we can connect. Chapter 14 is about the assembly. Chapter 15 is about the resurrection. And chapter 16 begins about the first day of the week. Do you notice the connection there? Assembly, resurrection, meeting on the first day of the week. So should I get anything out of the assembly? What I should get is not what I want, what I desire, but what God wants me to get from His Word, edification, building up. And so I ask you this morning, why are you here in the assembly? What's the purpose? Why did you come this morning? Hopefully it wasn't a checklist. Hopefully it wasn't, well, we always go to church on Sunday morning. It's because, yes, I want to partake of the Lord's Supper. I want to break bread. Yes, I I want the edification from God's Word. And yes, I want to praise God in the congregation. Why were you here this morning? After Paul traveled from Macedonia to Greece, Paul and Luke sailed from Philippi, and that's how they arrived to Troas. Even though they were traveling, they didn't simply say, well, it's the first day of the week, let's just move on, or we're not going to, it's another day of the week, we're going to skip it. They waited until the first day of the week. That's when the disciples gathered together for the breaking of bread. I encourage you this morning, this is my challenge to you, gain a biblical picture in the assembly. That's what we'll be doing this month in this study for the next few weeks. And I also encourage you this morning, pursue the edification for the church by the Word. This morning, if you're not a Christian, you can become one by believing that Jesus rose from the dead, that He is the Lord, that He rose from the dead. You've got to confess that. Romans 10 and verse 9. And confessing that, you've got to repent of your sins. That is, die with Christ, be buried in the waters of baptism. And it's from baptism that you start a new life where your sins have been washed away. This morning, maybe you've become stale in the assembly, in your worship, and the edification that should be taking place. This is what should be going on in our congregations. We should be growing as disciples. When the church began, they devoted themselves to fellowship, to the apostles' doctrine, They were devoted to the assembly, and that's very fundamental to us. They are devoted to one another. Secondly, they were growing together, and this morning, if you stop growing, you stop studying God's Word, you stop being a part of Bible study and praying with other Christians, you're not growing. You want to be a balanced, mature Christian, you've got to devote yourself, you've got to grow, and you've got to love those around you, you've got to serve others. And if you can say this morning, I'm not as devoted as I should be, I'm not growing in Bible classes and prayer with others as I should be. I'm not serving others as I should. I encourage you to repent. You need to become a Christian. You need prayers. I encourage you to come right now while we stand and sing. Please come.